Hey everybody, welcome to Revolutionary Relationships, a podcast here to support you in your emotional, your relational, and your spiritual evolution. Yes, and if you don't know, we are your hosts, Kara and Caleb, and we are so glad that you are here. This is gonna be the best day ever. This is gonna be the best day ever. Wake up. Can we talk about this <laughs> lovely <laughs> fall weather? <laughs> it is nice. Uh, honestly, I feel like a different human in fall. I think we have really determined that June, July, August, mm. we will not be in Nashville. Absolutely not. It's like a hundred million degrees and you just, just sweat. Humid. I know. You sweat. I'm too big to sweat like that. I'm not even too big, but I just... Honestly, I don't like it. There's bugs <laughs> and sweatiness. But the fall weather, it feels like Los Angeles. We woke up one morning and it was drastically different. It was like it changed overnight. overnight. Yeah. And we walked outside and I could smell fall. It was like, oh, it's here. With fall comes my birthday. Uh-huh. Which was good. Which was two weeks I'm ago. 37 years old. How do you Wait, feel? right? I'm 37. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, you're 37. Uh, birthdays, historically, have always been so hard for me. Yeah. I feel like it's the only time of my life or the only time of the year where I kind of look at my life through the lens of age. Mm. And for whatever reason, my natural inclination is to compare myself to, you know, my close friends and counterparts from West Point. And I know that that's just not fair. Yeah. Because I, I have taken such a... A different path. Yeah. <laughs> and historically, birthdays have always just been so hard for me because of that. But also, I have been running so hard. I've had such like this anxious attachment to life and to try to find my purpose and to try to find my place in this world and try really to make something of myself. Mm. And I think what birthdays have always done is it's always like mirrored back to me that I've chosen this... I've chosen this like nonstop hustle, make something of myself, prove my worth over relationships. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so birthdays have always been hard because it's like the moment I wake up and realize that like, oh my God, I don't have very many deep relationships in my life. Yeah. Or all the striving is keeping you from All the striving intimacy. has kept me, right? Mm-hmm. I, all the striving came at the expense of actually deep relationships because in my head and the way that I saw the world for so many years, it's like... I don't have time to build relationships. I can be spending this time on getting to where I'm trying to be. Mm. But as I've healed and as I've let go of the striving, as I have learned how to be more present in my life and to accept who I am, where I am, Mm -hmm. it's created a lot of space for relationships. Yeah. You know, life-giving relationships. Yeah. Not just you, but friendships as well. And this year, it was such a pleasant surprise because I genuinely felt celebrated Mm. i genuinely felt loved i genuinely felt like oh there's people in my life and it's it was just good for me to experience and to see because what i thought i would get from all of the hustling Mm. is actually what i have gotten from deep relationships what you long for probably yeah yeah and so it's been good it was a good birthday and you're going to be a dad this I'm year. I'm still waiting for my gift. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb is notoriously the most difficult person to buy gifts for. True story. Is that the story you're telling yourself well, just I to get out of buying a gift? Well, I did get you a gift. gift. It just yeah. wasn't a, it wasn't a unwrap, 
unwrapping gift. Yeah, it was a good gift, though. It was a really good gift. We had a bunch of people who love you record videos of how mm-hmm. much they love you, what they love about you, and why you're going to be a great dad. Yes, which I'm just overly thrilled about. Speaking of being a great dad, can we talk for one second about the baby clothes we got this weekend? <laughs> oh, our baby shower. We had a baby shower this weekend. I had a baby shower this weekend. You well, did not attend. <laughs> I had to bring all of the packages into the house. Oh, speaking of feeling loved and celebrated, I think that um, one thing I've been reflecting on this this these past couple days after the baby shower is just how celebrated this tiny human is before she's even here mm-hmm. in the world. And that's being shown, you know, through through fun gifts like clothes, but also just the amount of people who are excited and and really celebrating with us. I I felt the literal definition of a shower. Mm-hmm. I felt showered. I felt very very loved and very celebrated and it was so fun to hold up all the tiny little baby overalls uh-huh. and be like this is so cute and I can just have a matching mini me. <laughs> you are. <laughs> oh. I can't wait. I honestly did not f- expect to feel the way that I feel. Mm. Um, and it's just amazing because it's like, I can't imagine bringing a child into this world when I was on the trajectory of life that I was on just a year ago, two mm-hmm. years ago, mm-hmm. right? The the nonstop hustle, the nonstop need to be somebody, the need to prove my worth and yeah. to reach some level of life that, you know, I was constantly striving for. Mm. I can't imagine bringing a child into this world with that incessant need to arrive or to get somewhere. Yeah. And so it's the timing of it is the just, it, it, it really is divine. Yeah, it it's is. It's divine time. It makes me realize that, oh my gosh, even when I look at our relationship, it makes me realize that it, it, there really is a timing for everything. Yeah. Right? The, yeah. the The challenges is the resistance that comes when we think um, it should be another way. Yeah. I think you and I have both done a lot of work to really trust the timing of our lives. And I think it's one of, one of the constant things to work on in life yeah. is, is how do we, how do we surrender the expectation of what we thought it would look like and really let go into, uh, what it actually looks like. Because for me, I think I, you know, I would have wanted to be pregnant 10 years ago mm. and to be pregnant now. I can recognize I have so much more capacity to hold this pregnancy and, and this child in a way that I would have never had capacity for yeah. 10 years ago. Um, so it does. It does feel like this beautiful, divine timing. And and I, I love trusting that. Yes. Speaking of timing, mm-hmm. I'm actually really excited about the timing of today's podcast. Um, just simply because I think, just because I think it's just a powerful conversation. It's a necessary conversation. Um, I actually had the chance to sit down and speak with, uh, a new, um, number one bestselling author, Doug Cartwright. Uh, he's also the founder of a program or not a program, but of a platform called the daily shifts. And it's all about like changing your story, finding your flow and maximizing your human experience. Mm. Um, you know, Doug is one of those people that I was, I got introduced to and immediately within five minutes of having this conversation with him, I was just like, Oh my God, can you be my best friend? friends. Really? That's what I felt genuinely felt that whenever we had that conversation and I actually had the, the, it was nice because when we were just in Los Angeles, yeah. he was there. He sent me a DM. He's like, dude, are you in LA? And I'm like, yeah. I love when things like that. I know. That. So we had a chance so, to uh, so grab wonderful. breakfast in Venice. Um, and yeah. Where did you go? 
Um, what's Juista. Juista. Ugh, so jealous. good. I know. Jealous. Place. But Doug, he wrote a book um, called Holy Shit, We're Alive. And I just want to read you just a couple of, because this is what uh, his the PR team that works with him sent me a copy of his book before it was uh, uh, before it was out. And the first thing that I read in the introduction, uh, he goes on to say, you know, this is my story, the psychedelically sparked spiritual journey of an ex-Mormon millionaire. Mm. If that already sounds kind of crazy, you have no I- how idea how wild it's about to get. I definitely didn't when I first started down this path. He goes on to say that, this book is not really a memoir, even though it, it follows my travels both around, around both the globe and the woo-woo world, trying anything and everything to calm the angst and depression I felt on the inside, despite seemingly, quote, having it all mm. on the outside. I did astrology, biofeedback, biohacking, burning man, cryotherapy, crystals, ecstatic dancing, EMDR, energy work, flotation tanks, flow camp, holotropic breath work, intermittent fasting, meditation, healing psychedelic, plant medicine ceremonies with 5-ME-0-DMT, ayahuasca, MDMA, and psilocybin, psychics, Reiki, shamans, silent retreats, sound baths, spiritual coaching, sweat lodges, Wim Hof method, yoga, so much yoga, at home and in Bali. These provide us a major life-altering realizations. And this is what I really love about Doug. Although the biggest ones were actually jump-started by the more mundane and universal experience of heartbreak. It was here in the heartbreak that helped lead me to the authentic, happy, fulfilled place I'm in now. But no single thing was a magic bullet. And what I love about this uh, conversation that I have with Doug, I recorded this um, by myself with Doug, is that Doug, he, he will go on to say that like he doesn't claim to be an industry know-it-all, right? He is a certified meditation teacher, but he's not a therapist with a bunch of fancy degrees hanging on his wall. Uh, I think he was actually a finance major. Uh, but what makes him qualified to teach you how to live more deeply, enjoy life more fully, it's because, and he would say this, he has been in the cave. He has squandered the money, dealt with the body shame, felt the guilt, lost the person closest to him, suffered the sexual abuse, went through the religious existential crisis, had his heart broken, contemplated suicide, and been on the verge of a public freak out. So I can't help but to think, but if you find yourself in your own cave, as Doug would say, no matter what the reason, I really think uh, not only his book, but this conversation, uh, it's a flashlight and a map out of that cave. Mm. Um, it's going to help you emerge from the darkness. And Doug is talking about this in his introduction. It's going to help you emerge from the darkness, ditch those anxious thoughts, and foster a calm mindset for a change. Um, it's just a phenomenal conversation. You're going to learn something from it. Um, and yeah, I really think you're going to enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, uh, please, if anyone comes up in your mind as you're listening to this episode, please take the time. It means so, so much to us to just simply screenshot it or forward it and send it to that person who comes up as you are thinking about this podcast. And lastly, I'm talking so much. (laughs) Lastly, um, if you're listening to this and you have not rated and left a review of this podcast, uh, whether it's a critical review or a positive one, we welcome Preferably all... Preferably f- positive. <laughs> yeah. We welcome all <laughs> feedback, though. Uh, we really do. We welcome all feedback. Yeah. Awesome. Let's go ahead and listen to what Doug has to say.
I'm, I guess I'm kind of curious and not to sound trite in any way, but what were you chasing or more specifically, what were you running away from? Um, I was, I wouldn't say running away, okay. but what happened was my, you know, I grew up Mormon and, you know, very sheltered, very much in a bubble. You're kind of told like what the purpose of life is, why you're on earth, what happens when you die. And it's so instilled in you as a little kid. Um, that when I finally decided to step away from the church, I wasn't prepared to deal with the existential crisis of also losing the answers to those really intense questions. And so I was super exposed. Mm. So I was like, holy shit, what is, I distinctively remember one night in specific being out on my patio. It was a late summer night. It was, you know, the sun was fully down. I'm looking at the stars and, and where I live, it's a very, um, it's, it's a happening spot on the weekend. You can see people out kind of going to dinner and walking to bars. And I kind of have this bird's eye perspective in my neighborhood, kind of looking down on the patio where there's restaurants and bars going on. I was kind of overviewing these people almost from like a third person perspective. Mm. And I'm looking up at the stars and I have this deep existential dread. I'm like, what in the hell is going on? Like, <laughs> We are on this rock orbiting a star. No one knows what's going on. We're hurling through space. And I'm like, what? Like this deep panic almost of like, why am I here? What's going on? And so this search really, when I went through that two-year kind of discovery mode, was really just trying to ease that existential dread and trying to make sense of what's going on. Man, I can relate to a lot of it. Um but I, I'm curious, why? What was the spark that led you to leave the Mormon Church? Yeah, so it wasn't this. You know, I work with a lot of people one on one who are like going through a faith transition, and they kind of have like this big experience that really is a turning point. For me, I really didn't have like this monumental moment. It was kind of a gradual, slow process out of religion where it just didn't really deeply resonate with me anymore, and I was kind of in this middle gray area. Mm. And it was actually what really got the momentum moving on all of these experiences is I had my first psychedelic experience on June 10th, 2017. And it's a whole story within itself of how crazy and synchronistic it was. Can we go there? That, we, yeah, we can totally go there. Yeah, we, I we actually, I, I, I don't mean to cut you off. I yeah. had my first experience with um, psilocybin. Mm. And I can honestly say it had such a radical and profound impact on my life. I had felt that this illusion of separation between me and source, me and God, almost immediately diminished. Yes. And there was this radical sense of presence and grounding that now I, which now that I live from. Yes. And it just, so I, I, I'm genuinely interested in your experience. So yeah, I would love to go there. Yeah. So I totally resonate with that too. So I was kind of like, you know, as I was saying, this middle kind of gray area, not really sure what's going on. And I actually, my first experience was with MDMA. Okay. Right. And there was this really big buildup to it. And I'll cut a lot of the details out, but like weird things in my life were happening. And I felt like I was being called to this work, like called to experience with psychedelics. So growing up in Utah, where I grew up as a, you know, Christian, conservative, upper middle class, white neighborhood, like, and you're kind of taught that every drug is basically meth. And if you do it one time, you'll get addicted and die and you'll end up on the streets. And so like, you know, 
And so when I'm like exploring and understanding and researching these compounds with and seeing the incredible benefits from them, mm. my jaw is on the floor. I'm like, what? You know, it was really the quote from Steve Jobs that said, you know, doing LSD was one of the most profound experiences yeah. of my life. And I'm like, okay, here's a visionary, someone who literally changed the world, right? And he's has positive uh, things to say about these compounds that they have affected him in, in a positive way. I'm like, there's something here. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, I have this experience. I'm at a cabin, you know, I get offered MDMA, which some people don't really, some people classify as a psychedelic. Some people don't, you know, I have this experience on MDMA that was very non-traditional and I still don't understand why. Cause I've done MDMA a lot of times after, and I haven't had anything remotely close to this, but my first experience with MDMA was almost like DMT like in a mm. sense that I was in another dimension. It's like the veil got pulled back and I was seeing energy and I was connecting with God. And I, you know, I remember I was up in, the, in nature and I was looking over this lake and I could see the earth's soul. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, mother earth. Mm. I get it. Like, Oh, it's an actual thing. It's not just like, Oh, I, I understand it. And I was seeing how there was these uh, connections that were, like I remember really what happened when I was like exposed to this and I can't explain because aren't human words, but when I was exposed to like this spiritual realm, I remember having the thought, I'm like, Oh shit, the hippies were right. <laughs> <laughs> they were onto something like they were right. Mm. And, and there was a moment in this experience as, as you, as you said, um, I felt the love of God mm. or, and, and, and at that point in my life, God was always explaining to me, as a man with a beard and a yeah. robe in the sky. Right. And I'm like, Oh wait, that is not God. Like God is the divine intelligence behind creation of all form and essence. Mm. And I was experiencing that and connecting with that. And like you said, there was no more separation. It yeah. was like, oh, okay, I'm in this flow. And I had a lot of other beautiful realizations that night too in my personal life. But the, the main thing was when I left that night, I remember thinking like nothing will ever be the same in my life ever. Yeah. Like I am changed and it's like, I can't unsee it. Like I saw it and I'll never be able to unsee that experience and nothing will ever be the same since. And that's what really caused the spark of curiosity and exploration. Oh, I love that. I love, it's very true. I often say like the similar thing just with healing, any sort of healing yeah. is like once you taste it, like there's no going back. Yeah. And I honestly, yeah, and I go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just say, I don't, I don't, cause I'm sure since you open up about your experience, you probably have a lot of people ask you about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And one thing that I always say, and I know you'll resonate with this is I always say, Hey, be careful when you go into the space because yeah. you can't undo it. Yeah. Like once you go in and see, like you're never the same ever mm -hmm. again. And so until you're ready to be in a situation where you might need to make a couple of big decisions, like I wouldn't really go into the space. And so I'm sure you've probably seen something similar. Absolutely. And you said something very, very um, uh, relevant and you, I'm glad you said it. You felt called to this work. Mm, yeah. Like that is so incredibly important. And I find that any kind of uh, journey into the, into psychedelics, like there has to have this, you have to feel called into this work. And it was strange how I even got introduced. Um, it was like through a friend, which I met another friend that led me to this medicine woman in Colorado. And I was going to go out there to do work with her. But then we just started talking about psilocybin. And that was just like, mm. almost like, 
I don't want to sound, I, I grew up very evangelical. I grew up in the yeah. uh, non-denominational um, yeah. uh, church. I mean, you know, I was carrying a football and speaking in tongues when I was six years old. <laughs> <laughs> so you can tell the trajectory that my life went yeah, before I had yeah. my existential crisis. Um, but it was like, oh my God, when we were talking about it, it was like the spirit inside of me, similar to Mary, mm. probably that scripture talks about, like it leapt, like I could feel that leap inside of me. I could feel that kick inside of me. And I was like, oh my gosh. And that was like, I really felt called to this work. I don't think that, or let me say I have, I have a kind of experienced people and I can see how this happens that we greatly reduce and undermine the sacredness of this experience when we just turn it into a to-do or we turn it into a fad or we turn it into something that fuels the striving even more. Right. Right. And I think you're exactly right. You know, there is, and it's, and I'm very, I, I don't want to say I'm anti woo because I really experienced. I went into the woo world and there's a lot of stuff in there. I'm like, this is total bullshit. But um, <laughs> but there is something to be said about what you said. You do feel called to it. Yeah. Like there will be this energetic shift internally that you won't be able to deny. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to working with some of these compounds, and um, yeah, and I think that's really important. As you said too, it is very sacred. And I and I've experienced too other some people where if you don't take it serious, yeah it will punish you. Yes. Like it will, yes. it will teach you to respect it. Yes. Like it, I've never seen a, a, a compound put a grown man on his knees yes. in the fetal position. Like I've seen this stuff do. So oh, I'm so glad you said that. Well, dude, talk to me about the book, man. Holy shit. We're alive. Like yeah. why this book? And, um, what are you hoping, uh, that people experience on the other side of, of reading this book? Yeah. And so, the title came to me. I love, I love explaining how the title came to me. So it was my second night of uh, doing ayahuasca ever. And my first night of doing ayahuasca was very brutal, very intense, very punishing. Like I just said, it like it taught me to respect the plant. It's like, you want to see who's in charge? I'm in charge. Mm. And it like buried me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so night two, I did, almost didn't do it. Um, it was so brutal the first night and then the second night and I share these and share the story in detail in my book I had this moment where I kind of got pulled out of my human body and was actually viewing the world from a spiritual energetic state where I had no biases to humanity Mm. and then I got thrown back into my body like I was reborn and I remember looking at my my hands in the ceremony and being like going like I just think and I can make a fist I'm like (laughs) that is insane. Like this is insane. And I'm like, I have eyes and I can see everything. I was, I remember thinking like, Holy shit, this is what it feels like to be alive. Mm. And then it went on this crazy journey of like, Oh, the reason we don't feel so excited about our life is because we have so much trauma. We're so caught on a belief of how we think life should be happening and it's not. So we suffer. Mm. Right. And just being alive is truly the ultimate gift, but we we've clouded that based upon trauma or pain or blockages from growing up and preferences. And I, I really learned that like our natural state as a human is love. Like our nat, if we, if you just take everything out of the, out of the way, Mm -hmm. we naturally want to express love and excitement and joy and happiness. And so the intention with the book is really to inspire readers to go on their journey, to do, you know, healing work that, 
can, once you remove these blockages, you can experience a deeper richness of life and really get to this deep sense of gratitude of just being human. And because when you get to that place, it's like life turns into a really beautiful adventure. Gosh, I want to be like best friends with you. <laughs> we are, you're going to start, gonna start getting friends. Christmas cards from me pretty soon yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and gifts for Talk your birthday. I'm all about it, man. Um, I love it. I think it's like, um, as you look back at your story and like that intro that I read with all of the things that you kind of did, um, would you say that it's necessary to explore that deeply or looking back um, at your journey, is there a way that you would have approached it differently? Or if somebody is sitting here saying like, yes, I want to experience this divine union that you speak yeah. of, this oneness, this deep love yeah. that radiates from inside of me and outwardly to the world around me and that connects me to all things. Like, where do I even begin with this? Yeah, I don't, I, there were moments on my journey where in, you know, deep in my core, the self-talk was like, oh shit, I've gone too far. Mm. You know, I have gone too far down the rabbit hole. Like I've lost grip on reality. Yeah. Two times in particular, you know, one time at Burning Man, I took acid at Burning Man and got lost from my group. Mm. And like things were getting really weird. And I don't know if you've ever been to Burning Man, but it was like getting really intense right before the temple burn and like, or the burning of the man. And, and like, I got lost in this rabbit hole and I was, I kind of got like panic. Cause I'm just like, this, this is really, I'm so far away from, you know, conservative Utah Mormon suburbs. And I'm like, how the hell did I get here? Yeah. Like it's little too, it was too intense for me. Um, and then this, the, the time that I'm actually, I, I talk about a word of caution in my book, but um, the second time I worked with five MEO DMT, mm-hmm. um, I just took, a, I took a lot and I didn't really go in with the true intention. It was more of kind of just a curiosity rather than a deep healing. And that really rattled me to my core. Um, I lost a grip on reality. I actually had to go see professional help after, um, because I was so not grounded. Um, and that was a scary time. And so, yeah, I've, I've pushed it too far and I, and I, and I dealt with the consequences of that. And so as much as, you know, cause one thing in the psychedelic space and you hear it and you've listened to podcasts, people are always like, it's the best thing. Everyone go try it. And I do feel very, very called to be like, yes, it is beautiful work when done with the right person, right setting, right intention, right space. But yes, there are consequences to doing this work. Um, and so I do want to make a note of yeah. that as well, that it's not just like, Hey, let's go trip and heal. <laughs> I'm glad you said, I don't think enough people, well, maybe they do. Um, yeah. or I think you hear about more people's psychedelic experiences of experiencing oneness or love or whatever, like kind of healing yeah. work that they experience, but you don't hear, enough around the um the need to make sure that the intention and the setting and the guide mm-hmm. that all of these things are so necessary in in your approach yeah and on that note too i don't think everyone needs psychedelics i think psychedelics yes. are really like oh you are so far away like you are so blinded you need help like here's a kickstart here's a fast yeah. track right to get back on track and some people like and i realized that too i was like oh my gosh i was so quote unquote, I hate the word asleep, mm. but I was asleep at the wheel. So I needed a, something to boost me back on. But a lot of people, and, and I realize this too, like there's a lot of people who are naturally very spiritually in tune yes. without psychedelics. And I just missed that. I didn't see that. And so people that are pretty in tune and feel spiritually fulfilled, like you don't need 
this type of medicine. Yeah, I love that. I'm curious on your thoughts on this because what does it look like to sever the ties to the stories, sever the ties to the Mm -hmm. trauma, um, to untether ourselves from all of these things that are keeping us playing small, keeping us from experiencing that moment of like, holy shit, we're alive. Like, wow. Like how do we do that from a place of being and staying grounded? Yeah. Um, I don't, cause I also, you know, I look at my stories that helped me back and my stories growing up was, okay, I was the fat kid growing up. Mm. Right. And so because I believed I was the fat kid, the story I told myself was that I was, something was wrong with me. And because something is wrong with me, I don't deserve love in the highest capacity. Yeah. Right. So now I have to show and prove and validate myself into the world why you should love me. Mm. Right. And so that showed up in elementary school as being the nice kid or being the funny kid or, and then later in life, I started making, started making money in my early twenties, which started doing very well in financially in my early twenties. And so being single, it was like, okay, women won't love me because something's wrong with my body. So I have to overcompensate and I'll just spend a shit ton of money on yeah. these dates and these girls to prove why I'm, I'm worthy. Um, and when I, you know, later on in my life to answer your question, I started doing healing work. I think, you know, how do we sever these ties is really it comes to accepting them, mm. right? Accepting the story and loving that version of ourselves. Because if we resent a part of ourselves and we, something we don't want to look at, we're suppressing it. And when we suppress the emotions and the pain and the sorrow and the grief of those experiences, they still fester inside of us. And until you go in and deal with them, right, that's when they'll, you know, the word I like is transmute. They'll come out and, and and they'll redirect themselves. And so to tie this back in, a lot of people ask me like, oh my gosh, you're very vulnerable in your book. Are you scared of what people would think? And to me, I'm like, no, I, I don't feel the way because I've done the work. Yeah. And that's, and that's when you know you've done the work is when you can freely, openly talk about being the fat kid or your dad died or being sexually abused as a kid because you've come to a place of, of love and acceptance for who you were yeah. in that version of yourself. It reminds me of um, that scene in 8 Mile, the Eminem story, you know, when he's on that final. Have you seen it? You know, I'm embarrassed to say that I have not seen it now, <laughs> well, but I know, I know the song. <laughs> well, it's at the end, he's in this rap battle, and he has to go first, and he knows that, like, the guy he's rapping against is about to destroy him, and he knows that guy knows all of his secrets, he knows all of his pain points and all of his vulnerabilities that he's about mm. to expose. And so Eminem, he goes into this rap battle and basically lays himself on the table to be fully seen, and he takes that man's power he takes that patent's power away from him to try to um, dehumanize and to essentially erase Eminem because in this moment, Eminem fully accepts all of himself by putting himself out there to be fully seen. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting to tie it back into a story that just came into my head. I actually am realizing just now in this conversation that I actually learned that when I was 19 because I got, I went on a Mormon mission. So okay. like, when you have yeah, the name badge, I don't know if you've seen Book of Mormon Musical, but I served one of those missions in the Mormon church. I got called to Auckland, New Zealand. And before you leave, there's a standard of worthiness you're supposed to abide by. So, you know, no girls, no drinking, you know, like be in full alignment and prepared spiritually. So when you go out into the field, you know, you're worthy to talk about God's word. Right. Yeah. So anyways, I had a girlfriend before I left and we broke the rules. Right. 
And because it was two days before I was supposed to fly to New Zealand, right? I had so much guilt and shame that I couldn't confess because it was going to derail this whole thing. And so I, I suppressed it and I, and I hid, right? So nine months later into my mission, the guilt was just overwhelming, right? And so I confessed to the mission president, they call him, and he actually sent me home. So I got sent home from my mission early, which is a very traumatic experience and a very shameful experience for young LDS men. And I remember for whatever reason, you know, there's, you, you hear about it every now and then in the community. What happens when you get home early, like kids would literally hide away in their basement, right? Cause they didn't want to go out in public cause they were shame and they were embarrassed. Right. And they would sometimes lie about it. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm sick. That's why I came home. And really it had to do with you had sinned yeah. right, and didn't confess. So my first Sunday back, right. So once, once a month in the LDS church, they basically have like an open mic Sunday where you, anyone who feels inspired can go up and share a message, whatever they feel is on their mind. So my first Sunday back, I was actually like thinking, I want everyone in my, in my community to hear it from me that I'm home. Cause I don't want people chirping. I don't want yeah. people gossiping. I don't want people, you know, Hey, did you hear Doug's back? So I like, I've been home for two days. I'd walk straight up to the, the pulpit and I was like, Hey, just so you know, I'm working on some things. I made some mistakes. I'm, I'm here trying to get back in right with God. And so I made a mistake and I'm owning it. So I'm back just so everyone hears it from me. Wow. And then I remember walking away when I was 19 and I never heard any of the gossip and I never heard any of the rumors because I owned it. And I think having such a positive experience of owning your, your, your truth, you know, is now compounded later in me then going even to a deeper layer into this book. I love that, man. There's so much power in the, uh, well, I'm sorry you had that experience. Deeply yeah. sorry that you had that experience, but well, I, just, I think it made me a better person. So yeah. I'm grateful for it. Yeah, I get it. Um, t- I'm curious on, I hope I can, uh, position this question properly, but like talking to 19 year old Doug in this experience, right. And you have this idea of God that you're trying to get right back, back right with God after making this yeah. grave mistake. And then you are on this trajectory of like, okay, I need to show, prove, and validate why you should love me. Those two things I find because they're very similar in my own, it's a very similar story that I had, especially with the NFL and achievement. It was just like, let me prove to you that I'm worthy of being loved. I'm guessing at some point there was a big crescendo in your life where no matter how much you did or made, it was just never enough. Talk to me about that crescendo. I think, I don't know if you're familiar with Richard Rohr's work, but he often talks about how like everybody has a first half of life and everybody has a second half of life, but not everybody steps into their second half of life because that invitation into your second half of life is a death of some sort. It might be a physical death, but more importantly, it's a, probably a metaphorical death. And I'm curious on that crescendo for you and what that death looked like and how you navigated it. And on the other end of it, it's a big question, I know. On the other end of it, what is your experience with God like now? Yeah, great question. And um, I, I term that, I, in my book, I term it as the success void, mm-hmm. right? And the success void is my life looked successful, right? I had made you know, over a million bucks at the time I was 24, I was traveling, I was single, I was going to sporting events. I'm a big sports guy too. So I was like, you'd see me front row at the Super Bowl. You'd see me front row at the NBA finals. I went to the 
Patriots Seahawks Super Bowl, which is the interception at the one yard line. And I was sitting right next to it in a, in a, in Dan Snyder, the owner of the Redskins suite with Kevin Durant. Wow. Like I was like epitome of any single bachelor guy, right? <laughs> I had money, had the Mercedes was hanging out with Kevin Durant was in the suites, you know, was going to the sporting events. I was going on, I was, I was went on a couple of dates with the runner miss USA runner up. Right. And the more I pushed that envelope, the more miserable I felt. Yeah. And the first time I noticed the misery and, and acknowledged the misery was shortly after that Super Bowl, the same year the NBA All-Star Game was in New York. And um, I remember flying to New York to go to the All-Star because this guy had to go to the All-Star Game and I have to sit in front row and I have, you know, because it was just kind of like this story I was telling myself to keep up. And I remember flying to New York and I'm like thinking, holy shit, the only reason I'm going to the All-Star game right now is so I can take a picture and post it on Instagram. I'm like, I do not care about the game. I don't want to go to New York right now. I'm exhausted. It's February. It's freezing, right? Like, the only reason I'm going is to post a picture on Instagram. And that was kind of the first time where I was like, what am I doing with my life? And I really fell into this really weird place because my mentors at the time in my company – we're all encouraging me to go make more money. And I didn't have like F you money. I wasn't like mega millions baller private jet, but I was doing, I had plenty. Yeah. Right. I had everything I wanted. I had my apartment. I wanted I had the car. I wanted yeah, I had the trips. I could go on a trip whenever I wanted. I was going to the Super Bowls, whatever. Um, and I remember thinking like, I don't think like getting a nicer Mercedes is going to help me. You know, I don't think that going on a cooler beach trip, is going to help me because I just did one like, and so that's when I was really like, it was actually kind of a scary place because I was still kind of leaving my religion, right? Mormonism wasn't really resonating with me. And so I didn't have a relationship with God at all. And that's where those that'll read the book, that's when it pulls in. I start feeling the call to working with plant medicine. And then I have that first plant medicine experience. Like we talked about earlier in the show, And for the first time in my life, I felt the love of God in that experience. And the thing that I remember the most about that experience was it was such an overwhelmingly, overwhelming feeling of ecstasy and love and joy. And I remember feeling I didn't have to earn it. Mm. It wasn't like, Hey Doug, let's look, have you been a good boy or not? Oh, you have. Okay. Here's love. It was like, there was, it was instant. Like, I don't care where you are, what you've done what's going on in your life, you get this overwhelming love. And it's not only is that true for me, but that's true for everyone yeah. is you don't have to earn God's love. And after feeling the, the God's presence in my life, you know, and like I said, the way I define God and God's a very tricky word because a yeah. lot of people think God and think a man and a beard and a robe. I think God is the, I think there's no way to describe it. We don't have human words to describe it, but I think it's the, overall intelligence behind creation that is immersed with a deep indescribable love. Mm. And that's like you merge with God and your whole human experience is a dance with the, with the Shakti or the Chi or the, or the, the spirit of God. Man, that's beautiful. I love that the language around like the dance, like it's yeah. 100% a sacred dance. 
It and is. It's, your toes get stepped on a lot. <laughs> yeah. And you make the wrong move, but it is such a sacred dance. And when you find that flow, when you find that alignment, um, it does, just like your website said, it like maximizes your overall experience in life. And it has nothing to do with more. And I'm yeah. not here to demonize the more like I'm I love nice shit in my life yeah right same. right I love it but at the end of the day like it took me similarly to you years of work to realize that the ground that I've been trying to attain this entire time has been the ground that I've been standing on mm. and when that hit it was like oh this is love yeah. Like this is God that I was taught about, but was greatly reduced as a performance or as I was just told that uh, the way to God was more performance. Um, and you nailed it. And what you say there right there, when you have that moment, yeah. right, that aha moment, that in that moment, your life changes yeah. from a problem to be solved mm. to an experience to be had. Yeah. Right. Cause your whole life you're trying to solve this problem. I need to figure yeah. it out. I need to get there. I need to get this. Like I can, I'm, I'm so close. Like I need to just put, you know, and then all that fades pulls yeah. back. Now we're in an experience. Like, oh, now we're in the experience of life. Yeah, man. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I really do love that. And the, the problem to be solved, um, like I'm thankful for it because that like life converse, we're always having a conversation with life and it's the questions of life that invite us into a deeper experience. And it's like, Oh, like this problem to be solved is one hell of a big question. And it led. And if you, it's like, you're trying to figure it out. 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 And then you just surrender the need to figuring it out. And that's when you begin to find what you're looking for. Yeah. From my experience. Totally. And, and to, and to echo you on that, it was more of like, for me, it was, Oh, there is no solution to life. There is no problem. Like there's no, no one knows what's going on. No one's figured it out. There is no place where you have it all together. And once you realize that you're trying to solve a problem, that's not even a problem (laughs) and just, it just falls away. You're just like, Oh, this is actually really nice. I can relax Mm. a little bit and kind of enjoy the experience of my life. I can enjoy the highs a lot more. I can enjoy, and I can actually enjoy the lows. Yeah. Right. I can feel the lows more because I'm not suppressing them. I'm not trying to resist them. I can embrace them. Yeah. And and it deepens the, the, the entire richness yes. of your life. I love that. I think where people, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this because I think that where I even find a challenge, um, and it is a dance, but I think that people have a hard time moving their lives forward because we're trying to conceptually understand it and you can't conceptually understand it as much as it's an experience where fear is a hell of a motivator, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that void in you, that need to validate so that I can be loved. I mean, it moved your life forward. It catapulted your life forward yeah. and it's an excellent motivator until it's not until you find yourself on a private jet, going to New York city saying like, what am I doing with my yeah. life? Like for me, it was getting into, you know, my third NFL team, getting into this locker room and realizing that, holy shit, it's never going to be enough. I could, mm. it was the first time I had this experience where I could make it to the NFL hall of fame. I could go there mentally and in my heart realize that it was still not going to be enough. Mm. And that's when I knew that I was on a dangerous road because my life up to that point was just coping with it's not enough in very self-destructive ways. And so what were you trying to fill? 
it was never enough. Yeah. That was it. That yeah. it was this I was six when my mom grabbed me by the face after winning a flag football game and great mom, love her dearly, still in my life today and I, I honor her. But she said, Caleb, we love you so much, you scored the game winning touchdown. That moment in my life mm. marked me because it was the moment that I realized that, oh, love and performance are directly tied. And so as you yeah. grow up and as I grew up, like being bullied because of my Christian faith, because I was so like, you know, driven for God and I won't curse, I won't drink, I won't have sex, I won't do any of these things. I was an outcast. It was this weird dynamic where I was all state quarterback. I'm in the Texas high school hall of fame, but yet I was the least popular kid in school because of my, my willingness to stay rooted in my Christian upbringing. So I had this deep sense and need for belonging. And if I could just score yeah. enough touchdowns in life, I would find yeah. this, what I'm looking for. And so it was constantly going from, you know, similar to you, like, okay, let's go to West point. Let's go to one of the yeah. greatest schools in the academy. Let's not even go to that. Let's become the second player in the history of the school to get drafted and get offered yeah. the position to go play in the NFL. And so yeah. it was constantly this upward trajectory of more and more and more, but it was never enough. And that's the curiosity that you speak of sitting on that plane of like, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, what am I actually doing? And that was the moment for me. But I, I going back to my original question, it was like, Fear is such a great motivator until it is not. Right. What does it look like for you to move your life forward from a place of presence, from a place of oneness, from a place of love? What does that look like? Yeah, I still I still feel very much inspired to become the best version of myself. Mm. Right. And I truly believe, I mean, first off, I always want to say it is possible that when we die, the lights go out forever. Yeah. Like hundred percent, this is a, the big bang was evolutionary and like, this is all kind of big coincidence. And then there's nothing after death. Very open to that. I don't think so, Yeah. but I'm open to the possibility. But my, my inner belief is that I like to think of earth is a school mm. for souls. Mm. And the purpose of earth is to evolve your soul. Right. And so that's going to mean growing and changing and up leveling and nothing is ever going to stay constant. Right. And so I have seen in my life when I, I've seen the benefit of my life when I step into hard things that I know will push and grow me and I've seen and I've reaped the rewards. And so that's, what's motivating me is knowing that, you know, from living where I was five years ago today, the deepness and richness and the of experiences of love and joy and excitement are so much more enthralling to me mm. now that that is motivating me to then go deeper onto my own soul's evolution. So it's not coming from a place of fear. It's actually coming from a place of, I want to deepen the richness of love of my experience. And the way I do that is by pressing myself. Yeah. I love that. You yeah. said something earlier um, that I find is, um, I don't know, universal, <laughs> because everyone I think is experiencing this. And I know people listening to this right now can probably relate to it. But it's this idea of, you know, I'm writing my first book, and it's all about kind of how to befriend yourself. 
You know, it's this idea that we are at war with our lives and we are the, our own worst enemies because we don't actually know how to sit with our own stories and make peace with it and to befriend ourselves. And so many of us are waking up and the life that we have is not the life that we want. And it's these unmet expectations of where we think we should be in life. It's these unmet expectations of what we thought our life should look like by now that's creating the suffering, creating the pain because that's the resistance. It's the resistance of trying to get where we want to be at the expense of where we are. And that's, that's the chaos we experience. So from your experience, like what does it look like to wake up tomorrow and actually lean into the discomfort of that? Like, what does it look like to, to, um, to remove that separation between the life that I have and the, the life that I want? Yeah. And I think, you know, the quote that comes to my mind right now is the only way out is through, mm. right? We, we have suffering, we have trauma, we have, uh, we've had incidents in our life that have caused us deep pain that we haven't dealt with, right? And you have to go into the cave, you know, it's the Joseph Campbell quote, the cave you yeah. fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Come on. And, you know, I want to, especially with this book that I'm releasing, I want it to be a testament that like, hey, if you're willing to go in the cave and do the work, yeah, there's beauty on the other side. Yeah. It's full of, you know, the deepness and richness of love that it's experiencing. And so, you know, I think that there was a Naval quote he just put on Twitter. I love Naval, but he says, a man can't know peace while he's at war with himself. Come on. It was something I, I, I botched a little bit. Right. But it's like most people are at war with themselves. Yeah. Right. And you have to let go. Right. And so the overall message I think behind all this is, okay, how do you get there? How do we get to this spot? It's you need to let go. <laughs> You need to let go of the life you think you're supposed to be living. Yeah. You need to let go. You know, I, I think one of my, my favorite quote, my personal favorite quote of mine in my book is to become the person you truly are. Yeah. You have to let go of who you thought you were supposed to be. Come on. Right. So we have that version of ourselves. We're fighting with, we're fighting with the world, the life that we think was supposed to be happening where we think that we're supposed to be at a certain point in our life and we're not. And we just have to let go of all that. Yeah. Right. Cause the longer you hold on, the longer, the tighter it is, you know, the more scars you get on your hands by holding so tightly. And yeah. so overall message behind all this is you have to let go of the life you thought you're supposed to be having right now. Yeah. What does that look like? I'm going to press into it. What does that look yeah, like? So it's surrender, right? Yeah. It's, it's understanding that, you know, and, and I, I talk about this in my book, like as we talk right now, me and you, like we're using technology to communicate face to face, which is insane. But um, <laughs> there is a, a uh, magnetic force field around our planet that's blocking deadly solar rays from killing us, right? We have beautiful beaches and mountain ranges, and we have a natural irrigation system that picks up water from the ocean, moves it to the inland, drops water so it can grow crops and plants so we can eat, so we can be nourished, so we can survive on this planet, right? Like life knows what it's doing. Mm. If you removed removed all humans from planet Earth, it would thrive. It would be the most beautiful place of, you know, that the animals and plants would thrive. So the fact that, that I can say my 32-year-old brain knows how to experience life better than life itself yeah. is foolish. Yeah. And so surrender to the flows of Come life, on. right? Trust the flow. Trust life. Trust what's going on. Yeah. And, and really, that's what I talk about. As, as a, and the way you learn to trust is building a relationship with your intuition. That's so good, man. Come on. Right. 
it's learning to trust the nudges, trust the hunches, like the whispers people yeah. talk about, right? And so how do you how do we get to that relationship? First is you need to eliminate the noise. There's so much noise in life, right? You have Instagram and yeah. Facebook and sports and your mom, right? So much noise. And the, the thing that's tricky about noise too is that it's not necessarily bad, mm. right? Watching the NBA finals tonight, which I'm going to do. Right? <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully the Bucks close it out. I'm loving Giannis right now. Right. That's not a bad thing to do. Yeah. But if it, if it, if I do that all the time, it blocks out the noise. And so I use the analogy in my book of like, okay, pretend you have this radio, right? The old school radios where you had to turn the knob. There was a static. Yeah. You're trying to get to the right radio station. So keep building your relationship with your intuition is just finding the right styles, the right, uh, station so the message comes in clearly so it's creating a spiritual practice where you can get in touch with the message and for me that looks like meditation for other people that could be journaling gardening walking in nature whatever it may be and once you get in touch with your intuition it'll guide you into the flow of life so you can be experiencing and 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 in that dance like we talked about with god i love that and i think uh, to add to that um there's probably a direct correlation between doing healing work and reconnecting to the inner voice. Yeah. Right. As I actually peel back the layers of the trauma of the wounding of the pain, I'm actually then becoming more aligned and in opening myself to hearing the innate wisdom guiding me forward. Yeah. And, and on that, that note too, there's a big difference between hearing yes. the intuition and then doing. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> a lot of people can hear the message, but not a lot of people are doing it. And again, the intention of my book is to inspire people to trust Come on. your intuition Come on. and jump. And I have multiple stories in my, in my thing about how I had, was broke and raised money and met the right people at the right time because I had this intuition. I need to do something. And it was really, really scary. And I'm at the ledge. It's like, shit, I know I need to jump, but I have no idea where I'm going to yeah. land. And this is really scary but then I jump and it's more beautiful than I can imagine. Man. And so the, if you can, if you can really tap into your intuition and hear the messages and then actually go out and do it, I think that equates to a beautiful, beautiful life. Amen, man. And it's, uh, it's like the epitome of like, um, Oh, this has been waiting for me this entire time. Like yeah. you have this experience. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh wait, this has been waiting for me, but it was on the prerequisites to stepping yeah. into this deepening and fuller experience, this rich, alive, more present, more grounded, more expansive experience. It, what you said earlier on, it hinges on my willingness to let go. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of my favorite, you know, it, I said it when I was uh, writing some of my book, I said like, there comes a time in your life when moving your life forward isn't about doing more, but it's learning how to mm. resist less. It's yeah. learning how to resist less and resisting less looks like it looks like the surrender that you speak of. It's funny yeah. because I don't even know if I've told this story publicly. I'll be short with it, but I used to hate roller coasters, bro. Like theme parks, roller coaster. I had a traumatic experience when I was a young boy on a roller coaster, got stuck upside down. I almost slipped no. out. I was terrified. And no. then fast forward several years, I find myself just signing a contract with the Kansas City Chiefs. And at this time in my life, it's chaos. Life is just chaos. I have no tools, no emotional understanding, no self-awareness, nothing. And trauma is, you know, the, the self-destructive patterns are, are ugly. 
And I'm also at this time, you know, very awkward in my own skin and I'm longing to find friendships and a sense of belonging in this life. And up until this point in my time in the NFL, my career, my career was less than stellar. And so when I'm at Kansas City and a group of guys are like, yo, Caleb, come hang out with this afternoon. I'm like, okay, yes. Like, this is it, right? And I'm like, I found friends. My mom should be proud. And then they say, we're going to go to Six Flags or the theme park. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Like, not happening, right? Long story short, man, I somehow managed going to this theme park with these guys trying to save my face, you know, trying not to look like a coward, getting out of every ride that scared me, right? My mom called, my stomach was upset, uh, something else happened or whatever. I got out of every ride and I thought I was home free when we were walking out of the park and we got to right, like I could see the exit sign, but right next to the exit sign was this free fall bungee jump. <sighs> And one of the guys in the group was like, bro, guys, like, let's do this. We got to do this, you know? And I'm like, oh, hell no. Guys, like, the exit rose right. Like, let's go. Like, let's go get some food. Let's go get some beers. Let's let's get out of here. And I know I'm being long, but there were six of us, and we had to go tandem. And so they're like, okay, I'll go here. I'll go. Caleb, you go with Zeke. And I'm like, shit. Like, I can't say no. Otherwise, Zeke can't do it. And he's fired up. Like, damn it. So I can't say no. So long story short, I get up to that top, man. And I'm on the right side. And so you get hoisted up to the top. And I'm having a damn panic attack. Like, I am damn near tears in my eyes. And right at the very top, there's a green light, a light and a red light. So as soon as the green goes to red, or red goes to green, I, I pull the cord. No way. Yeah. And so I'm standing, I'm not standing, we're hoisted at the top. I see all of Kansas City and I see the light turn and I don't pull the cord. And I sit there paralyzed with fear, paralyzed at the very top to the point where Zeke is starting to get uncomfortable. And he's like, Caleb, pull the cord. And I was like, Zeke, I can't, I can't, I can't pull the cord. He can't reach the cord. And he's like, pull the cord. Now we got people at the bottom yelling at us to pull the cord. Zeke is yelling at me to pull the cord and I am, I'm freaking out. And I just remember, I don't know what I did, but somehow, obviously, I got to pull the damn cord, find the courage, and I pull the cord. Doug, when I tell you, man, as like the least self-aware, emotionally unaware, trauma-filled person you've ever met in your life that's just self-destructing in every way possible, when I pull that damn cord, those initial seconds of this free fall were a prophecy of the life that I was about to step into. And I Mm. never experienced such deep joy this sense of being alive this utter freedom when Mm -hmm. i pulled that cord because it was the first time in my life where i learned that i could let go and still be held at the Mm -hmm. same time and at the experience of life of being let go and being held at the same time i didn't understand at the time what that was but i know looking back at it now like that was the invitation to walk away from the life, as you would say, to walk away from the life that I thought I should have or that I thought I should be living, learn how to surrender and go on this journey of exploration that has led me now to what I would say is the life that I have, the life that I was meant to live. It's the human experience that I get. It's an experience now. So it's changed everything. And I'd say that long ass story. (laughs) Thanks for listening. No, it's beautiful. Um, To just say like, man, this new expansive experience of life it really is on the other side of letting go. Yeah, that's 
you that's the best story I've ever heard in regards to letting go. Oh, you know, you. <laughs> seriously, because you really incorporate the piece that a lot of people said I miss is that you can let go and still be helped. Yeah. Right. And that and you actually are more helped yeah. when you let go. Right. Because yeah. something bigger than you that has your best interest at heart is the one that's guiding you that knows how it plays out. So right. Good. And so it's going to take you where you need to go. And yeah. I think you, that, that's amazing. I love that. Thank yeah. Thank you, man. It's like life is a river and we spend all yeah. of our times trying to push the river of our life forward, but the river's yeah. already flowing. I first have yeah. to learn how to be held so that I could rest right. in it. And then as I yeah. learn how to rest in it, the natural flow takes it. Yep. And that changes the entire life experience. Find the flow. Damn. I love it, man. Dude. Um, I could talk to you for another hour. I've got your book and I'm going to promote your book and I'm going to have it linked to everything I'm going to buy. I'm, I'm super excited. Can you just real quick Thank talk you. to me about your course, um, the yeah. daily shifts? I think it's amazing. I love the language around it and I just want people yeah. to know about it. Yeah. So the daily, the course I have, it's the holy shit kind of holy shit. We're alive extra credit piece of it too. And you know, shift my life. The course is basically, when I went on this like two year sabbatical where I was doing all of those things you listed at the beginning of the podcast, EMDR and biohacking and, you know, Burning Man and all that, and really exploring the land of woo, I was coming from a place that was very type A, kind of bro-y, masculine, yeah. very unaware space, and then getting thrown into this deep end. And when I was kind of in a lot of this, when there's a lot of bullshit there, but I was, when I was in therapy and meeting with psychologists and doing, you know, the psychedelics, I learned a lot of really, really valuable insights yeah. and a lot of valuable tools and techniques. And the opportunity that I saw was like, wow, a lot of this stuff is really beautiful and enriches your life, but the current way it's being presented there's too big of a gap. It's like the average bro isn't going to go talk to the hippie dippy mushroom person. It's right. just like too weird. So I'm like, okay, how can I package up the best of everything I learned to, to, to deepen the rich, the richness of your life and present it in a way that's approachable. And that's what the daily shifts course I love is, it. right? Is okay. Where do I start? I know I need help. I, I, I think, you know, you might think you might have a negative connotation with therapy or whatnot. You know, you know, something's wrong. You know, you're off, you know, you're not aligned. Okay. Where do I begin? Where's the stepping stone for this? This isn't therapy, but it's, it's, it's kind of like, okay, let's start framing some new questions, some questions yeah. so you can be ready to do serious work. So it's really this, it's the first step in the journey. I love it. And so that, and that's what the course is all about is prepping people to start doing their inner work. Yeah. I love that. I, I, I just want to say that I deeply honor you, man. And I'm not Thanks, making man. light of that. I, I really do. I know that you saying yes to that still small innate voice inside of you, it comes with a lot of loss. It comes with a lot of grief mm -hmm. work. It comes with a lot of letting go. And that's hard work, man. So I just want to say that I, I deeply honor you for saying yes, because just having this momentary uh, experience with you, it's had an impact on my life. Um, and yeah, so I just want to say I honor you. I appreciate that, man. I feel the same way. I, I can definitely, I can tell you, you, you get it. You see it. Thank so you. thank you for seeing it. Awesome, man. I'll have all your links and uh, all your, your, your medicine mm -hmm. and magic uh, linked yeah. to the description yeah. of this podcast, man. But thank you so much for being here well, with me today. Thanks for having me. Much love. Awesome.